As you can tell from our scripture reading this morning, we are going to be focusing our attention on one of the best known, if not the best known, stories of the entire Bible, the story of David and Goliath. I imagine most of you know it well. The story of David and Goliath is not only one of the best known stories, but I would submit also one of the most abused stories in the scripture, the way in which it's often applied. I trust that that will become more clear as we approach the end of the message. So we must ask ourselves this morning, what are we to learn from this narrative? What is the great takeaway? Why is it communicated to us at all? What is the main point of the narrative? That's an extremely important question, especially when it comes to application. So once again, as we go back to 1 Samuel, after having a bit of a hiatus from this book, we remind ourselves that in studying a narrative, one of the important keys is to look for repeated words to help us determine what is the main point of the, of the particular narrative. As we look at the story of David and Goliath, the word that sticks out is the word defiance. In particular, Goliath's defiance of the army of Israel and ultimately the defiance of God. Note with me, first of all, where this word defy appears in our text. And if you are one who marks your Bible at all, I'd encourage you to circle these particular places in the narrative. For they provide the signposts, if you will, in working through this particular portion of Scripture. The first is found in verse 10. The Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that may fight together. The next is found in verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. The next is found in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now if you have an NASB, it translates the word there as taunt. But in the Hebrew, it's the exact same word. And the NIV, the, NA, the uh, King James, and uh, the ESV use the word defy throughout the narrative. The NSB at this point changes to the word taunt, but it is the same Hebrew word. Next occasion is verse 36. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then lastly, verse 47. Then David said, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Defied. 
So the key word is the word defy, which means to reproach, upbraid, scorn, mock, taunt. The theme of this morning's message is God vindicates his name through David to demonstrate that God is not mocked. God vindicates his name through David to demonstrate that God is not to be mocked. Now let me begin with an aside. This is an extremely long portion of scripture to try to tackle at one time. 54 verses. But I did not want to divide it into a series of messages, for I think it's important for us to see the story as a whole. Therefore, um, I will be reserving most of the application for the end to demonstrate how it flows from the text. So much more could be said than what I am going to be saying to you this morning. It's a bit frustrating for I would like to be making more application as I work through it, but I don't want to lose the forest for the trees. I want us to see the big, big picture. So what we're going to be doing is looking at and using these key verses, these words about defiance, to kind of define the sections. Then I'm going to go back and work through verse by verse, basically just summarizing the narrative and making a few comments And at the end, we'll see the application. So first, in self-defiance, excuse me, in self-confidence, Goliath defies, mocks, taunts the army of Israel. The actual defiance is recorded in verses 8 and 9, if you look there. Goliath dares any one of Israel to come out and fight against him. So 1 Samuel 17, 8 and 9, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now, Goliath openly and fearlessly defied the army of Israel. Notice verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So one does not have to deduce from reading this particular narrative that what is taking place is defiance. Um, Goliath uses that word himself. He says, I defy the ranks of Israel. Now that's kind of remarkable because Goliath is pointing it out so that it cannot be missed, so that they know that they are being mocked, that they are being ridiculed, that they are being challenged, and he expects them to be defeated. That's like saying to someone, you're stupid, and just so that you don't miss the point, I have just insulted you. 
You're stupid. I just insulted you. Here, Goliath defies the children of Israel, and then he says, I defy you. Don't miss what is taking place. So, Goliath is blatantly defying Israel's army by challenging every one of them to fight against him. Goliath is confident of his ability to win the fight, for there is no one who can compare to Goliath in size and strength. So we are given the description of Goliath, starting at verse 1. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdanim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the line of battle against the Philistines. Now the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Now here is his description, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. Goliath was huge. He was huge. The text says that he was six cubits in a span. What in the world is six cubits in a span? Well, if you have an ESV study Bible, if you look in your note, it says that that equals nine feet, nine inches tall. That's an approximation. Somewhere between nine feet six and nine feet nine, depending on how you measure a cubit. He was huge. He was also strong. For if you see in verse five, it said that he had a helmet of bronze on his head, he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. His armor would have weighed, and that's just his chest plate armor, would have weighed 126 pounds. The head of his spear would have weighed 15 to 16 pounds. Now imagine a spear that weighs 15 or 16 pounds and you're going to be holding that up straight, and you're going to be throwing that through the air and, and uh, propelling it at such a speed that it is going to do damage when it meets a, another individual. He's huge. He's strong. So let's look at the effect that Goliath's defiance had on Saul and his army. First, Saul and his army are at wit's end. They did not know what to do. The situation seemed hopeless to them, verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed. They were dismayed, hopeless, without a solution. Saul and his army were incredibly frightened of Goliath. The end of verse 11. When Saul and Israel heard these things, the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Size was a big deal when it came to warfare in that particular era. And size was very important to the children of Israel. And if you will remember, 
when Saul is first chosen to be king, it is recorded concerning Saul's height. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, you don't need to turn there, we're told about uh, the son of Benjamin, who is Saul. And he had a, a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a young man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So Saul stood out as a great commander, a great warrior. They were trusting in Saul because he was head and shoulders taller than anyone who was in Israel. Saul was a big guy. However, Goliath would have towered over Saul. How tall was Saul? I don't know. But he's not nine foot six or nine foot nine. Now, I'm a relatively tall individual. I'm six foot three. Six foot three. And when I come into contact with somebody who's six foot seven or six foot eight, it's not all that impressive to me. I've played against basketball players that are six seven, six eight. Uh, I can pretty much look them almost in the eye. I, ha- I don't have to tilt my head. I can just lift up my eyes and uh, see such a person. Uh, that's not very intimidating. But I had a really strange experience one day. I was in a barber shop, sitting there waiting to get my hair cut, and there was a fellow that was in the barber's chair. I could tell that he was a, a big dude, but when he stood up, I couldn't get over how big he was. And I stood up and walked over, it was my turn anyway, and stood next to him, and I said to him, how tall are you? He was seven feet, four inches tall. Never was in the presence of someone who was seven feet four. He was a full foot taller than I am. And I know this won't mean much to you because it's not your experience, but it was my experience, and it was the weirdest thing I'd ever felt because I never had the experience of somebody towering over me. People taller, but they didn't tower over me. This guy made me feel small. For the first time, I felt small. Goliath is nine feet, nine inches tall, and even Saul felt small. And so there is this fear. So there is this sense of hopelessness. How in the world is anyone going to fight and take on this Goliath? And of course, David is smaller than Saul, even. So now we're introduced to David and told the reason why initially he was not at the battle. It's because he traveled back and forth to keep his father's sheep. So starting in verse 12, we read, Now David was the son of an Ephratite of Bethlehem and Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. 
The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third uh, uh, Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So he's going back and forth uh, in order to fulfill his responsibilities to his father. Now we have Saul and the men of Israel's response to Goliath repeated mocking, taunting of the armies of Israel. Goliath's repeated defiance is given to us in verse 16. For 40 days the Philistines came forward and took his stand mocking, uh, excuse me, morning and evening. So now we're told how David came to hear of Goliath's defiance, verses 17 through 22. And Jesse said to David his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul had, and they, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elijah, uh, excuse me, Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went. As Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. So now David interacts with members of the army. And he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. So now we have the response of Saul and the army to Goliath's defiant challenge. The first response was to run away. Verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled. Rather than going out against him, they go the other way. They retreated. The second response was to recognize Goliath's defiance of the army. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? <laughs> have you seen that guy? He's huge. Look at him. Then it says, surely he has come to defy Israel. He's come to mock us. He's come to taunt us. He's come to kill us. The third response was Saul's response. And that was to offer a huge reward to anyone who would fight and defeat Goliath. Verse 25. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. So there's this great reward, and it consists of three things. First, the person who kills Goliath will be rewarded with great wealth. Middle of verse 25. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. You fight Goliath, you kill him, you're going to be a wealthy man forever. Secondly, the person who kills Goliath will be rewarded with great power and honor. For at the end of verse 25, it says, and we'll give him his daughter, 
So you're going to be able to marry into the line of Saul. You're going to be a part of the kingly family. You're going to have power. You're going to have honor. You're going to have prestige. You are going to be the son-in-law to Saul if you fight and kill Goliath. And the third is that your family is going to be made free. Your, your family is going to be taken care of by Saul. Not just you, but all of your relatives are going to have this unique status in Israel. Now, no one took Saul up on his reward. What good's a reward if you're going to be dead? So nobody jumps at the opportunity for the wealth to marry Saul's daughter and to have one's family free. But it's important to also understand that none of that motivates David. That's not why David is going to fight Goliath. It's not for the reward. David is already anointed to be king. This isn't going to be an advancement for David. He's going to be king. He's going to replace Saul as king. He knows that, for he's been anointed in the chapter before. Now, I'm going to say more about that next week. I stopped at verse 54 purposefully. I'll pick it up next week at verse 58, Lord willing. We're going to deal with the issues of why doesn't Saul recognize David, etc., etc. All that stuff I'm saving for next week because I don't want to get tied up into it this morning. The point is that David will have more than what Saul could ever offer David. That's not the motivation. The motivation for David, which is absolutely essential to understand right from the start, is the glory of God, the vindication of God's name, the fact that God should not be mocked. God should be honored. God should be glorified. God should be worshipped. It's the honor and glory of God that motivates David to fight. So now we have David's amazement at Israel's response to Goliath's defiance. First, David is amazed at the massiveness of the reward for slaying Goliath. Notice verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? What shall be done? Did I hear that right? Are you telling me that if somebody goes and fights and kills this Goliath, that he's going to be rich, he's going to be married to the king's daughter and become the king's son-in-law and have power and might, and you're telling me that his family is going to be rewarded and taken care of? All of that just for killing Goliath? He's amazed. And the reason that David is amazed at the massiveness of the reward is because he doesn't think this is such a big deal. Goliath does not have God on his side. Verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For, here's the reason, who is this uncircumcised Philistine 
He's uncircumcised. He doesn't believe in God. And, of course, not only does he not believe in the God of Israel, but we're told in verse 43 that this Philistine cursed David by his gods. So he's a worshiper of false gods. Secondly, Goliath is not simply defying the Israelite army, but Goliath is defying God himself. Notice verse 26. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's amazement is that Goliath would have the audacity to defy God. To defy God. Now, here is David's uniqueness. And the uniqueness of his understanding and faith. For this is the first time that God enters the picture in the narrative. David and David alone realized that in defying the army of Israel, ultimately, Goliath was defying God. Up until this point, all of it's focused upon the army and Goliath's defiance, mockery, ridicule of the army. But David sees beyond that and says, there's a bigger issue here, people. The bigger issue is not that Goliath is defying the army of Israel. He's defying the living God whom we serve. God is on our side, David is saying. And we should be concerned that God is mocked. God's reputation was at stake. It wasn't just about the army or even the nation. For David, it was about God and his honor. So that brings us to David's response to Goliath's defiance. David is sure that he will be able to defeat Goliath. This part of the narrative reaches its climax in verse 36. Verse 36, it says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Why? For he has defied the armies of the living God. Again, that's what's focused. That's what is in the heart and mind of David. That's why he's sure of victory, because he has defied the armies of the living God. So now let's look at the events that lead up to that. So back, going verse by verse through this part of the narrative. It begins again with David's expressing amazement over such a reward being given to anyone who would defeat Goliath. Verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So it shall be done to the man who kills him. 
David's brother is upset by David's impudence, verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and that Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Here's why. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see this battle. So these are some pretty strong uh, rebukes. And uh, he says, I know your heart, it's evil. Well, God says that David's heart is a man after his own heart. So his judgment is wrong. But in essence, he says, talk is cheap. You've come down to watch. So watch and shut up is basically what Eliab says to David. You haven't come down to fight. You came down to watch. So you don't have any say in this. David is surprised at the response of his brother, verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Wasn't it but a word? Why are you getting on my case? And evidently Eliab was on his case a lot, for he says, what did I do now? All I did was say, what's the big deal with Goliath? However, David is not deterred about what he has said. So verse 30, he continues on. And he turned away and turned to another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again, as before. Finally, the word comes to Saul, who wants to hear from this guy, verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. So David volunteers to fight against Goliath, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. So don't worry, I'll fight. Saul's response is, there's no way that you can fight Goliath, verse 33. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. (laughs) You are inexperienced, you're green. There's no way that you can take on this Goliath. David's response is that I've already fought against a bear and a lion and won. Verse 34 and 35, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when he came a lion or a bear and took lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he, and if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. David is sure that Goliath will be defeated because Goliath has mocked God. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and his uncircumcised Philistines shall be like one of them. Again, the reason for he has defied the armies of the living God. That's how he knows. That's what's at stake. He's defied God. Therefore, God will give him the victory. Verse 37, and David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He had experience with God. God had shown himself faithful to David. Experience is in a large part of our having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was God's preparation for David. God had prepared David from even before his birth. And all of his life experiences were getting him ready 
for this battle. Well, that's reason enough for David, excuse me, that's reason enough for Saul to send David into battle. End of verse 37. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Next, David is willing to fight Goliath because of David's faith, not in his defenses or offensive weapons, but in the power of God. Key verse to that section, verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you came to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. So let's go back and look at the verses that lead up to that. David goes out to fight without protective armament or customary weapons, verses 38 and following. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. So David is fitted out in Saul's armor. Now remember, Saul is bigger than anyone else in Israel. He's a head and shoulders tall. He had the best armament, so they're going to give him Saul's armor. But David is dwarfed in it. And he tries to move, and he says, I can't fight in this. I can't fight in this. But I want you to, to note here, that David rejects this weaponry not on religious grounds. He doesn't say, it would be wrong for me to fight with this armor on. He doesn't say it would be wrong for me to use a shield or a sword. He just says, it's not going to work. All right? That's important here, because this is not a, a statement of faith that it's wrong to use protective armor or what have you. David is simply saying, it's not going to work. There's no way that I'm going to be fighting in this stuff. So he puts it off. Again, here's the sovereignty of God. God makes it that David goes into this battle without any of the armor, without any of the weaponry that would normally occur. This is God's purpose. This is God's design. This is God's will and intention. So David goes to fight without the usual, usual weaponry, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So now we have the Philistine speech. Goliath despised David as an unworthy opponent. Verse 41, And the Philistine moved forward and came to David with his shield bearer in front of him, And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. He was an unworthy opponent. And Goliath took personal insult that David would be sent out against him. Verse 43, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you came to me with sticks? Man, I can't believe that this is the best that Israel's got to offer. (laughs) You standing there with a staff in your hand. Am I a dog? Don't you respect me? Don't you fear me? (laughs) Are you that stupid? 
come out like this and fight against me. He's ticked. He's insulted. Now, for the first time, Goliath mentions his own gods. Verse 43. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Goliath continues to taunt David and warns David of what's going to happen next. Verse 44. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. You're going to die. David's speech in return. David's confidence is not in weaponry or armor. David's confidence is in the Lord, which is the game changer. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Goliath, your weapons are the, only the best weapons that mankind can produce. But my weapons, it's God. God is on my side. And with God on my side, it's superior to anything that you have to offer. David comes against Goliath with the help of the very God that Goliath had mocked. At the end of verse 45, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This God who you think is to be mocked and ridiculed. That's the God whose power I'm coming against you to fight. And so David is confident of victory. Verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. David's confidence is in the purpose in fighting which is the ultimate glory of God. Notice the end of verse 46. That, here's the reason. Here's the reason that he's going to win. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's why God is going to defeat you. Because God is going to show you, and not just you, David, and not just the, excuse me, not just you, Goliath, and not just you, Philistines, but God is going to show all the world that God is not to be mocked, but God is to be worshipped and served. David's faith has proved to be placed in the right place. Now we are given the battle itself, and the battle is very short. David defeats Goliath by the power of God, verses 48-49. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead and he fell to his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. Now is God's purpose accomplished. That is Verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is God in Israel. Number one, now it is Goliath who is mocked, not God. Now there is a great irony. For David cuts off the head of Goliath with the very sword that Goliath had been trusting in. Verse 51, then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head. 
with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. They fled. That head would be put on display for all to see, celebrating God's victory over the Philistines. Verse 54. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Put on display. This is what God can do. Now the Philistines learned to fear the army of God. Verse 51, then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his sheet with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the Israelites are emboldened to fight against the Philistines. Verse 52, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shurim as far as Gath and Ekron. Here Israel is encouraged in their faith. These men who were unwilling to fight are now ready to fight, for God had been glorified. God's power had been displayed. They are encouraged, they are strengthened, and they go to battle, and they're going to prevail. Now the Philistines despoil the, excuse me, now the Israelites despoil the Philistines. Verse 53. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. So it's a complete, total defeat of not only Goliath, but all the Philistines. So now let's look at the conclusion. Let's look at the application. All of that uh, Ralph, uh, excuse me, Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary has this very pertinent statement. He says, the driving concern of this chapter is the honor of Yahweh's name, his reputation, his glory. David is driven by a passion for the honor of God. Does this make any difference in how one interprets this chapter? Yes. It should, be, should keep us from going around talking about the cleverness of David or the bravery of David. The focus of the chapter is not on David's courage, but on Yahweh's adequacy and David's weakness, end quote. So now let me just expand on that for a little bit as we think about applying this chapter. This is not a story to focus upon David's great faith, as though faith is what triumphed over Goliath. It's not a story merely about how the weak can overcome the strong opponents in one's life through faith. This is not about standing up to a bully in a schoolyard, believing that God will give you the strength to do so. Nor is it a call for a junior high football team to have faith and believe that you could take on the National Football League champions and win. All you have to do is trust, and you too can be victorious. Or even a story about how you can conquer the giants in your life, such as the giant of depression or the giant of addiction. Just place your faith and trust in the Lord and God will slay your giants. 
That's not what this story's about. This is a story of God's dispatch of his enemies. This is not a story about our enemies and ourselves at all. It's a story about God's enemies. Here is where the Israelites missed the point. They focused on Goliath's defiance of the army. They failed to see and eventually even care that God was being defied. They missed that. And even once it was pointed out to them, it didn't really bother them. David saw the situation for what it was. David said, this isn't about us. This is about God. How God would be viewed by the nations that surrounded them if this Goliath was allowed to continue to mock. So as we begin to say, what does this have to do with us? First, does it bother you when God's people and God's name is mocked and ridiculed? Do you see that not as a personal offense against you, but an offense against the God that you serve? Are you angered, not because you have been offended, but because God is offended? Are you willing to stand up to such ridicule? God's reputation is at stake, and that is enough for David to risk his life. How much are we willing to stand up when God is ridiculed and mocked? What are we willing to endure, even though we say and think it might be absurd? We might lose our job if we say something to our boss, a coworker. Next, do you make decisions to stand for Christ, not out of a desire for personal advancement, but rather solely that God's name will be glorified? Saul was seeking to motivate his army by offering them a great reward. He was trying to get these people to fight Goliath by saying, I'll make you rich. I will give you power. You'll become a part of the, of the kingly family. And I will set your family free. They'll be set up. That's not what motivated David. For David, it was the glory of God. What motivates us in our service for God? What emboldens us? What motivates us? Next, are we careful to give glory to God for what he does rather than to give glory to the human instruments that God uses? David is careful to consistently give glory to God. It was God who enabled him to beat this lion, to beat this bear. It was God who was going to give him the victory. It was God who was going to defeat Goliath. It was God. It was God. It was God. And so often when this story is told, it's not about God. 
It's about David. And what an incredibly unique young boy he was. That's not how David viewed it. That's not how David understood it. David is amazed. He's saying to these people who are standing around about him, what's Saul going to do? Tell me this. He's going to make you rich. He's going to give you power. He's a Philistine. He's uncircumcised. He defies God. David believed that any one of those guys could have gone out there and killed Goliath. Or it wasn't about David. It was about God. Anyone could have done what David did. There was no earthly reason to think that David could have beaten Goliath. He was one of the worst people to send out there. Everybody realized that. Saul realized that. Eliab realized that. Even David realized that. And certainly Goliath did, because he's insulted and offended that this is the guy they're sending out to fight him. This is a story of how God can use anyone to accomplish his purpose and will. Here we learn the lesson of what is meant when God said of David when Samuel anointed him. Remember what God said to Samuel? Verse 7 of chapter 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. He's referring to Eliab. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks upon the heart. It was the heart of David that was his strength. It was the heart of David that set him apart. It was the heart of David that was his uniqueness. And so what was that heart that was so unique? We're going back still further to chapter 13. When Saul is removed as king, when it's announced that he's going to be removed as king, because of his defiance of God, because he didn't do what God had told him to do in battle, and Saul says, well, the reason I kept these people alive is because I was going to offer a sacrifice, and then Samuel says, well, to obey is better than sacrifice. Then verse 13 Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept the word of the Lord. The heart of David was to honor and glorify God. That's what made him unique. He saw all that he did was a way of bringing honor and glory to God. That was a man after God's own heart. 
God said to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Here is the prime story to teach us it's not about outward appearance. It's about the heart. It's about living one's life to the honor and glory of God. It's not about your enemies. It's not about your depression. It's not about the bullies in your life. It's not about you. This is a story that says, if, God, if your heart is to live to the honor and glory of God, God will help you. God will aid you. God will give you the ability to live for him when you don't have the courage yourself to stand for God and do that which is right and pleasing in his sight. To trust solely in him and not ourselves. This is a story of how our obedience to God reveals and brings honor and glory to God. Again, remember David's statement that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 2,000, well, more than 2,000, 3,000 years later, we're telling this story. But let's be careful that we tell it right. It's a story of a God in Israel. It's a story of a God who cannot be mocked. It's a story that teaches us confidence that God is going to be victorious. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, he also shall reap. There will be a day of judgment. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because there is a God. And he conquers his enemies. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to have confidence in you this morning. Lord, help us to prize above all things your honor and your glory. Oh Lord, may we not seek fame. May we not seek riches. May we not seek power. May we seek your glory. And Lord, may we trust that you will be glorified through us as we seek to be obedient, as we seek to stand up, as we seek to defend your name against any who would mock or ridicule your goodness or your faithfulness. Lord, help us to have the courage and strength to be a witness that your name is proclaimed throughout all the earth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.